Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest vox casting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we meet Professor Albus von Stuck, Dean of Admissions at Transmortis University. Von Stuck is a dedicated scholar who is passionate about passing on his knowledge to eager young students from all walks of life and death. I hope you enjoy Student Bodies, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Transmortis University. Whether you enjoy engineering, astronomy, or breathing abominable unlife into a desiccated corpse, Transmortis University offers you the opportunity to make the most of your talents. Visit our admissions office in Cistern 7 to start on an academic path that will change your life forever. Student Bodies by Mike Wallace Albus von Stuck awoke with a cry of fear. Gasping for air, he put two shaky fingers to the side of his neck and sighed with relief as he felt his heartbeat pulse under them. Another night conquered, he mused. Or day, he had to admit. The sun meant very little in Cistern 7. Either way, he knew it was six o'clock on the dot. Only time he ever woke up. He rose out of bed, tossing aside old blankets, and stretched out his aching limbs. His bedchamber had a series of tiny ducts that connected to the tunnels above, and eventually the surface. It was the closest thing he could get to fresh air, even if it meant the air was perpetually damp. He opened his wardrobe to consider the day's attire. In his youth, von Stuck had considered clothing a symbol of status, the purest expression of the civilized man. And while he had matured to more important pursuits than personal vanity, he still took pride in his appearance. Smiling, he took down the same suit he always wore, despite owning many others. It hung from its hook, frayed in some areas and worn to require patches in others. It had been stained with layers of dry blood. He whistled as he dressed and adjusted his tie while staring at the reflective metal tubing that ran in seemingly random directions across Cistern 7. He looped a belt around his waist, pausing after each loop to tuck a pouch, trinket, or vial into it. Then he attached leather straps to his torso, loaded with all manner of instruments, mostly cutting tools in one form or another, but also bottles of ink, pens, pencils, and chalk. He nodded in approval as he gazed at himself running a hand through his wild, curly hair. He donned his goggles, which doubled as his spectacles, then slid them up onto his forehead. Nodding in approval, he slipped on his laceless boots and went for a walk around Cistern 7. 
The cistern itself was typical of old-world architecture, though von Stuck often daydreamed that Malifaux City's sewers were much older in origin. A vast, warehouse-like space, the cistern was characterised by a series of tall pillars that supported its arching ceiling. Darkness, not walls, turned this place into a maze. Featureless and without many landmarks beyond a pillar with a scratch mark or two, one could easily get lost without a map or years of experience. The walls of the cistern boasted the occasional floodgate that led into auxiliary overflow chambers, ranging in size from that of a private office to that of an auditorium, depending on how much water normally pumped through any particular tunnel above them. These chambers made up the university's classrooms and workshops. The classes were sometimes flooded by sewer runoff, but it didn't seem to bother the university's students, or if it did, none of them ever spoke openly about it. Water under the bridge, as he liked to joke. The school was studiously quiet as usual. Even in his absence, academia never rested. Cistern 7 was dimly lit with blue flame lanterns, the kind that made the shadows darker and deeper than normal. Shapes lurked in those shadows, barely visible to von Stuck's human eyes, but their movements created sounds of flesh and metal touching wet stone floors, echoing into the open air. You there, he gestured to one shuffling figure. Don't you have classes this morning? The shape slowly twisted in a way that suggested that its spine was not connected to its lower torso. Flesh stretched, a mechanical part clanked as its clockwork eyes extended from its head, getting a good look at von Stuck. Room 13, Preservation Techniques 101, yes? Albus asked. He pointed the student in the right direction. The monstrosity said nothing. It couldn't, because it lacked a larynx. It started to shuffle away, walking backwards down the hallway. Von Stuck shook his head. Freshmen had a tendency to get lost, and when they got lost, they either loitered like sheep or started damaging things. The walls had more than a few cracks and gouges from such exercises, another reason to keep his students focused on their studies. He paused outside one of the larger reservoirs, room 37. Metal tables had been arranged like desks, with an assortment of machinery lining the walls that hummed, buzzed, and billowed engine smoke. Strong overhead lights had been hung above the tables. One table sported the corpse of a heavy-set man whose internal organs had been removed and carefully piled up beside him. A dozen creatures had assembled around the table. They had been human once, mostly. Now they were twisted and torn, their flesh cut apart and either replaced with an assortment of mechanical parts, or simply stitched back together with stitches and straps bolted right to the bone. There was no rhyme or reason to any of their configurations, making each an asymmetrical nightmare of art. One of the larger creatures gestured towards the corpse, and then to the pile of intestines next to it. It gesticulated wildly and fluidly, pantomiming scissors, stitching, and even patting its own stomach while making a chuckling gesture that several of its fellow students mimicked. Von Stuck chuckled with them. Blood out indeed, he agreed. The creatures whirled. Their eyes were flat and dead, but behind them seemed to be a greenish flicker of manic intelligence. The largest creature, leading the class, put its hands, or rather one hand and a large surgical saw, on the table, and rasped through its throat. 
Professor. Albus shook his head, merely observing, but oh, remember the liver. The lead creature banged a fist on the table, nodding frantically. This drew its kin's attention back to it, and it began to mime injecting the body with something, and the class became entranced. Some of them even began jotting down notes. Content, von Stuck continued on his way. The university seemed to be in good spirits. His creations, his iron zombies, fluttered about, self-sufficient and devoted to learning. Classes were in session, students gathered to learn the arts of necromancy and amalgamation, one generation preparing to create the next, sharing their insights and innovating the state of undeath to match the modern era. As it should be, he acknowledged. A chirp from above drew his attention, and he glanced up to see a tiny metallic object darting down towards him, flapping bat-like wings made from flayed skin. He recognized it as one of his students' creations, a human head properly zombified and grafted with the same sort of mechanical doodads the guild put in their purely metallic watcher constructs. It landed with a bounce on the guardrail, and then toppled over, smashing itself on the stone brick floor at the professor's feet. Von Stuck frowned and dug into a belt pouch, producing a keyring loaded with tiny tin whistles. There were dozens of them, so it took him a moment to find the correct one. He blew into the silent whistle, and then put the ring of whistles away. While he waited, he scooped the mangled head and wings off the floor for a closer look. After several minutes, an iron zombie skittered up the walls of the student forum and clambered over the railing before Von Stuck. The student of steel hissed out a cry of anguish as it saw the broken head, reaching out for it with mechanical hands, one of which was a lengthy serrated blade. Von Stuck tisked, and the student of steel fell still. This is a wasteful travesty, Von Stuck began, circling the zombie, the broken creation tucked under his arm. Vital school resources destroyed! Do you know how long it took us to capture one of these little observers? The iron zombie hung its head, absently scratching the floor with its bladed arm. You should have considered that this device required a means to land safely. For that reason, I ought to put a permanent demerit on your grade. He wagged his finger at the iron zombie. Then he sighed and held up the broken head. But the fault is partly my own. Creating a marvel like this had me quite excited, and I hadn't considered the necessities of feet either. From the shadows came heavy footfalls. A student of sinew, one of the hulking hall monitors von Stuck used to keep the student body in line, appeared, drawn to the opportunity to dispense discipline. Von Stuck waved it back. Not today, he said. You sent this contraption out to survey the city, yes? If you can show me what it saw, we will consider this not a failed project. He handed the flying head to the student, who immediately began dismantling it, extracting the cracked crystal lens from its eye socket. It produced a twin, connecting them via a series of copper wires and enchanted mechanisms taken from the original Guild Watcher from which the creature had been built. Finally, the student of steel produced a projection lantern, lit it, and set the cracked lens inside it, creating an image that glowed on the walls of the cistern. A small body of students had gathered, 
and even the student of sinew was absorbed with the opportunity for an impromptu lesson on the watcher's inner mechanisms. The projection showed what the lens had seen, moving backwards at a rapid pace. It flew through tunnels and sewer networks, emerging in a drainage ditch that was in a northern part of the city. Von Stuck drew his goggles down to his nose and tried to discern the location. Eventually, he realized it was showing whole neighborhoods flattened into rubble by some kind of enormous vehicle, like a castle on massive treadwheels. Fascinated, Von Stuck leaned in closer and saw the aftermath of some kind of battle. He recognized the Guild Amalgamation Enforcer, Charles Hoffman, and that garish mechanical suit he used to walk. Alongside him came a hulking example of an amalgamation, a beefy-looking fellow with a mechanical mask and an intimidating-looking machine gun fitted to its arm. "'A fine bit of engineering, old boy,' von Stuck admitted. "'What a boon to the university if we could induct you!' The zombies gathered around von Stuck, chuffed with eager laughter. But he silenced them with a gesture. Hoffman appeared battered and weary, but this recording had to have been from more than an hour ago. He would likely be well on his way to the Guild Enclave, and well beyond von Stuck's reach. But he had been in a fight, and von Stuck was curious as to what the man had been fighting. He watched intently as the head continued its survey, caught sight of what had spurred it to return to the cistern. The flying head made a few more patrols around the city, pausing over areas it considered interesting. A marketplace full of people, some kind of riot between the guild and the union of miners and steamfitters, nothing particularly noteworthy. Von Stuck's hopes dropped. But then, the head came to hover over a small alley not far north of the Southgate slums. The head was buffeted by some kind of kinetic force that sent it spiralling around, and then the recording turned to stare into the face of a lovely, stern-looking woman with black hair and a dress that appeared to be purely mechanical, as if she was wearing some kind of full-body iron lung. The woman was seriously injured, bleeding profusely from a stomach wound, but still tried to drag along her heavy garments with a kind of dignified stoicism, despite her mangled arm hanging from her shoulder and her face twisting from the intense pain. Von Stuck felt a tingling at the back of his mind, an echo of a whisper of an idea that suddenly boomed in his brain like only the thunderbolt of an epiphany can provide. Ha-hoo! he cried, clapping his hands. Take me to the surface at once. I think I've found a promising new student. He clapped the shoulder of the student of steel, who had produced the flying head. Top marks, my boy, top marks. The student of steel was practically bouncing with joy as von Stuck left. The professor rushed towards one of the open-air elevators he'd had installed on the walls of the cistern. As he went, he took up one of his tin whistles and blew into it. A great winged shape immediately took flight, circling the cistern before landing with a mechanical clatter before von Stuck. The valedictorian curtsied, wings extended out like a dress. Yes? she asked. Her voice sounded like escaping steam. I received the most unorthodox but tantalizing application, von Stuck said, fairly giggling. She looks quite formidable, so I'd like you to accompany me while I handle this personally. 
Anna Lovelace heard one of the mechanisms in her clockwork dress grind to a halt. The enchantments on her left side failed, and the sudden weight of the equipment, far greater than she could carry without its gravity-manipulating capabilities, came down on her already numb legs. Her left knee gave out with a pop, and she struck the brick wall of the alleyway with a clatter of metal. She put her one good arm out to stop herself, but ended up face first in the muck, letting out an unintended cry of pain. She forced herself to remain silent. Malifaux City was a jungle of brick and iron. Cries of pain and the scent of blood would draw predators from miles around. Using the crumpled mass of metallic dress as a counterweight, she rolled onto her back, guarding the oozing wound in her stomach with her shredded arm. She had not anticipated Charles Hoffman's affinity for machinery. Much as she was reluctant to admit it, she had underestimated him. Although his intelligence was a far cry from her own, his journey to Malifaux had borne him a significant advantage. Technopathy. He had turned her dress on her with a mere thought. Her only recourse had been to use the trick blade in her sleeve to stab herself. Having shattered the enchantments, it whisked her away from the battle, and in doing so nearly left her arm behind, leaving her in a black void that felt akin to being buried alive in a cold, wet grave. But without taking such drastic measures, Hoffman could have done far greater damage. If the wrong switch was pulled or the wrong diode was turned, the dress could have been crushed, twisted and squeezed her body into the size of a cantaloupe. But it seemed her desperation, not Hoffman, would do her in. She was more than certain her intestines had been punctured, and after nearly an hour, the wound still refused to clot. Clinically, she deduced that sepsis would soon set in, if she didn't exsanguinate first. Crippled and bleeding out, she finally admitted that her arrogance had led to this moment. She had made the ruins of the Majestic, the guild's failed mobile bastion, into her lair, and kept all her equipment within. She had made no other contingency plans, no cache of vital supplies in the event she'd been forced to flee, and certainly no friends or family that she could rely on, especially not her sister. Even the enchantment in her blade had required another death to return her from the void, and she had not prepared for that either. It was pure luck that the magic had sensed a nearby murder, unrelated to her battle with Hoffman. She had been wrenched out of the blackness to find herself standing over a vagrant, his throat slit and his meagre possessions already looted. Had the culprit remained near the scene of the crime, she might have not been able to fend him off. The weight of her failures gnawed at her mind. She flexed her fingers into claws, feeling the cold, reptilian fury blend with hot, raw hatred for Charles Hoffman. He had robbed her of her vengeance and left her to die in this alley, just another one of Malifaux's many victims. Should have let him kill me, she thought, if only to spit in his face and laugh as I left him to mule over his walking corpse of a brother. Her eye twitched, a nervous tick she had developed during her schoolyard rivalry with Ryle Hoffman. She rubbed her temple, trying to will the twitch away. Thieves, the whole lot of them, she thought. That's all Charles Hoffman was. Not a thief of ideas like his brother Ryle, but rather a thief of autonomy. He had turned her dress against her. It sickened her. She felt violated by the intrusion of his mind into her work, more so than even Ryle, 
who could only ape her achievements and steal credit for her work. No, Charles Hoffman was a monster. Wetness touched her cheeks. She opened her eyes to see the evening sky was heavy with rain. Thunder rumbled somewhere distantly. She had to get off the street. She needed to get out of her clockwork dress and to find someone to clean and heal her wounds. She couldn't let it end like this. Not now, wailing in an alley like an abandoned infant. She reached for the clasps of her dress. Knowing she could never get anywhere while wearing it, now that its levitation mechanisms were no longer functioning. Something flew overhead, big enough to block out the rain for a heartbeat. Anna glanced upwards, scanning the edges of the rooftops, but could make out nothing in the gloom. Hoffman had found her earlier using the guild's aerial observation devices. Was he looking for her now? How could he have found her so quickly? She didn't even know where she was. Instead of unbuckling herself, Anna reached for the controls that would allow her to activate her gravity well, and if that failed, she could still draw on the blade attached to her shredded arm somehow. She waited, holding her breath and tears in those few agonizing moments, but whatever had moved overhead did not return. After a minute of absolute silence, Anna began to unbuckle her dress. If she was quick, she could duck into one of the nearby buildings. It had to be safer than the open street. Another sound struck her over the din of the rain, the wobbly creak of a wheel drawing closer. Soon she heard the sound of footsteps and humming. A figure appeared at the end of the alley, standing under the light of a street lantern. He held an umbrella in one hand, casting him in heavy shadow, but she saw a sturdy iron wheelchair at his side. "'Ah, here we are,' he said. His voice was calm and pleasant, which only unnerved Anna more. She kept silent, but then he started to approach, pushing the wheelchair toward her. Lightning flickered in the skies above, and she caught a good look at him, a scrawny old man in a blood-stained suit with unkempt hair and thick goggles resting against his forehead. "'Oh, good evening,' he said, with a tone that implied he wasn't at all surprised to find her. Something disturbing flickered in his eyes as he looked her over. "'Did you have a bad fall? One of my students informed me, so I procured this for you.' He patted the wheelchair. Anna didn't move. "'Who are you?' There was something familiar about his voice. The man stood up straight and sniffed. Professor Albers von Stuck, Chancellor of the University of Transmortis. He smiled with a look that stole some of the heat from Anna's blood. I see you've heard of me. How flattering to know my reputation precedes me. Anna considered her escape route. She'd have to lure him in close enough to strike him. She didn't want to risk her dress failing her at a critical moment and making him too wary to approach. What do you want? Von Stuck tilted his head to the side as if disappointed in her. Well, my dear, I'm here for you. A little bird told me you were passing through Southgate, and I knew it was vital that I seek you out. The university is always looking for new students, you see. 
and after witnessing your duel with the amalgamation enforcement head, I think you'd fit right in. Anna pursed her lips. I admit, I've heard of you. Your broadcast on provoking pain responses from paralyzed nerves was inspired. Von Stuck beamed. Why, thank you. It's so refreshing to get positive feedback on my work. Oh, we must take a tour of the university at once. But I'm afraid I won't be able to oblige you, Anna concluded. His face darkened. Oh, and why is that? She knew that she was on the knife's edge. Every path in front of her was a risk, but some sticky ends sounded more appealing than others. As you can see, I've been injured. I require medical care. I would not be able to attend a tour of your university today. Perhaps another day. She grimaced in pain. Von Stuck waved his hand dismissively. If I halted classes every time someone needed urgent medical attention, we'd never get anything done. Besides, his eyes took on a manic glee. Bleeding out won't bother you a bit after a bit of, mm, enhancement. The university has a very strict admissions policy. No living allowed, you see. Anna felt her stomach turn to lead. She forced herself to keep a stoic face. Then perhaps you could help me. I cannot stand on my own, and you look more the academic type than one for hard labor. No offense. He chirped a laugh. None at all. Folk like you and I are better suited to exercising the mind over the body, correct? I do confess to being intrigued by your garments, quite unlike anything I've ever seen before. Thank you. Anna said. Then please help me out of it. Von Stuck gaped and fairly blushed. Out of your clothes? Oh my, that's hardly proper for a gentleman and student-teacher trust. Anna frowned. I am dressed under the harness. Oh, of course, Von Stuck said, looking relieved. I suppose it would avoid uncomfortable chills and unpleasant chafing. All right, let's see. He drew in close leaving the umbrella with the wheelchair. Here, Anna said, gesturing at a buckle above the small of her back. In my condition, it's quite painful to reach. Von Stuck nodded, mumbling to himself. He had to lean over her to get close. With the last fibers of her strength, Anna drew up her mangled arm. Her hidden blade extended from her sleeve, weakly locking into place with a metallic crunch. With her other hand, she reached over and steadied her wrist, aiming for his neck. A heavy force slammed into the ground beside her, splashing mud and knocking von Stuck back. A taloned metal foot came down on Anna's weapon, pinning it against the cobblestones. The pain would have been excruciating, but her body was so exhausted it was lost in the rest of the fading agony. Anna found herself looking up into the cold, passionless eyes of a creature that was now both zombie and amalgamation, but had clearly once been a woman. For a brief moment, blinking away tears and rain, she thought of Ryle Hoffman. But this wretched creature wasn't even pretending to disguise its undead nature. Von Stuck slowly stood up and cleaned his goggles with a rag. When he turned, Anna saw a baleful glint in his eyes. As he approached, his posture was much less cordial and friendly. 
He loomed over Anna with hands clasped in front of him. That goes on your permanent record, von Stuck said. He turned, staring at the wheelchair. Anna knew he had to be considering killing her then and there. After what felt like an eternity, he whirled away again. The anger in him had drained away, and what was left was a comfortable, almost grandfatherly smile. Aren't you spirited, he chuckled, producing a tool from his belt. Working quickly, he carefully dismantled the blade on Anna's forearm and put it in his belt. An intriguing device, retractable and enchanted. You do have talent. Von Stuck's monster reached down and hauled Anna up, clockwork dress and all. Its scythe-like limbs didn't seem to have any trouble as it deposited her into the wheelchair. It flexed its bat-like wings and pushed the chair forward. Well, no time like the present, he said. Let's have that tour of the grounds then, shall we? Von Stuck felt a spring in his step as he led the way, allowing the valedictorian to push his newest student along. They slipped into a drainage ditch that was already beginning to fill with rainwater and followed the maze-like sewer tunnels with practiced familiarity to System 7. Ah, yes, here we are. Von Stuck clapped his hands, speaking up for the first time since they'd left the alley above. He glanced down at Anna, whose face was pale and pained. Still conscious, miss? I take a grim view of those who sleep through my classes. He slapped her just hard enough to draw the focus back into her eyes. She glared hate at him, wrapped in all the dignity she could muster. Very good, he said. Here we have Sistan Seven, home of the University of Transmortis, a humble little school, far from the prestige of Heidelberg, I'll admit, but to my reckoning, much, much older. We've renovated as much as we can, providing proper lighting facilities, storage, student gathering spaces, etc., etc. I run a very tight ship. It's even part of the school's official motto. Organization, liberabit vos. Anna mumbled something, took a breath and repeated herself. Where are your students? Oh, all about, von Stuck said, waving his arms. The student forum might be a bit dimly lit, but it's comforting for them, and not such a heavy drain on energy resources for the school. He stopped their procession in the centre of the student forum that overlooked the drainage sump. If you'll orient her northward, he motioned to the valedictorian. There you go. To the north you'll find this hall of steel. Some of the university's most talented engineers can be found there, studying the processes of amalgamation, construct locomotion, soulstone engines, history and philosophy. To the west is the Hall of Sinew. Medical courses are the highlight, but we also teach sociology, culinary trades, and I sometimes host an astronomy course every now and again. Fascinating things, stars. I was originally a professor of astronomy at Heidelberg before I found my calling. Anna shook her head, barely able to hold it up. Blood began to spill down the front of her mechanical dress. Finally, to the east is the Hall of Viscera. Some of our finest students went up there. You might find a few slithering around. Literally, of course, he giggled. 
courses include arcane studies, magical theory, and while I generally frown on religious courses in a private school, a few contemporaries host a theological course on Earth and Malifaux-based religions. Now, I'm sure you're curious to see our amalgamation labs first. Anna responded by collapsing out of the wheelchair. The clatter of her clockwork dress drew the attention of the entire school, and von Stuck heard several of them approaching. Frowning, von Stuck rubbed his chin while the valedictorian gathered Anna back up into the chair. Passing students paused in their activities, barely visible in the dim light, watching with a mix of curiosity and anticipation. It had been weeks since they dissected anyone for conversion. But there was a place for everything, and everything must be in its place. Von Stuck waved them off, then grabbed Anna's chin to hold her face up. Her eyes were blurry, barely responsive. She was bleeding out faster than he'd anticipated. Still with us, my dear? he asked. Blood loss seems inevitable at this point, but we must continue the tour. Anna surprised him by lashing out. Not to attack him, but to grab hold of his collar. I demand medical attention now. Von Stuck smiled softly. Her hand was trembling, and she was barely able to hold her arm up. My dear, you must sit quietly. We'll attend to you if and when you prove to be right for the school. He pulled her hand from his collar. Now, Anna snapped. She let go of him to grab a small knob that jutted from the side of her dress and twisted it. Gears groaned, and sparks hissed from within, and for a moment von Stuck believed the entire contraption, damaged as it was, would simply break down. Instead, he felt a woomph wash over him. He was knocked backwards into the valedictorian. He was sent over the railing and into the sump drain. Von Stuck caught hold of the railing just in time, but the force that assailed him would not relent. "'This is how it will happen, old man,' Anna snarled, her voice somehow amplified above the noise of machinery working in her clockwork dress. "'You have medical equipment here. You will attend to my injuries. You will ensure that I survive alive and intact.' or I will set my equipment to overload and to hell with your university as I bring the city above you down on your head. Intact? Von Stuck raised an eyebrow. The defiance in this woman was noteworthy, but in the back of his mind he sensed that she was bluffing. Her dress was barely functioning, and while the science behind it was impressive, centuries ahead of its time by his understanding of controlling the forces of gravity, he doubted she could knock down a pillar of the system let alone the rest of the university. Still, if she could do damage to the school, it would be unseemly, perhaps an irreparable mess. But to leave her intact, how would he allow her to join his school if she still had a pulse? It was unthinkable. But if she left, she would be the first being to escape his school. What a scandal that would cause. Transmortis had a perfect attendance record. Define intact, he continued, because I'm afraid all of the medicine in the world isn't saving that arm. Keep me alive. A little whisper at the back of his mind brought him a measure of reassurance and control. Organized. He had to stay organized. Organization will set you free, he said, more to himself than to her. Very well. Please allow me to steer you to our operation theatre. Anna never took her gaze off him. 
Her head swiveled like a cobra to watch him grab the handles of the wheelchair and, with considerable effort, wheel it forward. The valedictorian hauled herself out of the sump behind them and let out a mechanical hiss of annoyance, but von Stuck waved her off. Top marks, young lady, he said reassuringly. But allow me to continue the lesson here. The valedictorian hesitated, never taking her flat, dead eyes off Anna. But she eventually slunk away, vanishing into the darkness of the cistern. There, now, you see, von Stuck said, the theatre is this way. He hummed as he walked, but his mind worked over his options as he tried to ignore Anna's steely glare. I have to confess, I don't get to operate on many live patients. Well, none that I intend to walk away from the table, he chuckled. And I'm mostly self-taught. You don't mind, do you? Of course not. It's not like there's much choice. I could just let you bleed out. Maybe you wouldn't have the strength to activate this clever little outfit of yours. Then again, maybe you could, and that would make a mess. I must confess I find this all highly irregular. Shut up, Anna muttered a slight shudder in her voice. "'Come now,' he admonished. "'There's no reason we can't be civilized. "'You should reconsider a conversion.' "'I haven't indulged myself, "'but the others assure me it's quite liberating. "'And death has a way of numbing pain. "'And I think you would be quite impressed with our school. "'Why, given your clever inventions, "'I suspect you would be quite an asset. "'Rise to the top, the cream of the crop, so to speak.' Anna only grunted. It seemed to take all her effort to keep her eyes on him. He brought her to a heavy metal floodgate. Excuse me. He pulled his goggles down to his nose and worked the chain that slowly lifted the gate. The operating theatre was an auxiliary reservoir, cylindrical in shape, with a large drain in the centre of the room that was covered with heavy, rusted iron bars. A mortuary slab had been set next to it, along with wheeled tables lined with surgical equipment. Electric lighting was arranged on tripods around the room. Quite impressive, is it not? he asked. Ah, the memories. Some of my best work has been performed here. He followed Anna's stare to the splash of dried blood running from the mortuary slab to the drain. Ah, he said. I see one of my students has been indulging himself between classes. But beggars can't be choosers, can they? He wheeled Anna to the table. Now we should remove that equipment. No, Anna snapped. She worked the machinery in ways he couldn't follow, creating a surge of energy that propelled her up onto the table and knocked her wheelchair aside like she had swatted a fly. Her face went nearly grey from the effort, and she collapsed onto her back with a pained cry. Now operate, she said through gritted teeth. Von Stuck shrugged. He pulled his operating tools within reach, checked them for cleanliness, and nodded. I'm afraid we have no anaesthetic. She simply stared at him. He cleared his throat and tried again. And if you die on my table, do I have permission to bring you back? She made a disgusted face, then twisted something on her shoulder. Timer, she said. If I don't reset it every 15 minutes, it will activate. For your school's sake, don't 
let me die. Von Stuck allowed himself a smile. Such decisive defiance. Very well, I'll do my utmost, miss. She swallowed. Lovelace. Anna Lovelace. Anna, von Stuck said. He hesitated. It had never seemed important to him to get her name until now, yet it felt like a good idea. Somewhere in the back of his mind he found the idea of saving her life not only intriguing scientifically, but potentially beneficial. He set aside one tool, one that would have almost certainly ended her life if he'd wished, and picked up a more precise and delicate instrument. Oh, he said with a smile, I hope you'll indulge me this. I promise it won't harm at all. He went to a set of equipment near the door, working the knobs and levers. Ethervox static hissed in the air. A microphone hung from the ceiling, suspended by a cable, and he pulled it over to hang over the operating table. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, he confessed. So, let's begin. He tapped the mic. Welcome, citizens of Malifaux. Welcome to the University of Transmortis weekly lesson. If you're new to our program, allow me to introduce myself, Professor Albers von Stuck. Today, we have a very special lesson. Before us, we have a new student, a recent applicant. Sadly, she suffered an injury earlier today, and for the sake of mutual profit, we'll be conducting reparative surgery. I know, I know, this is a deviation from the norm, but circumstances demand non-conformity, so we must adapt. The patient has requested no anesthetic, possibly to ensure it does not dull her senses. Suffice it to say, we will begin with an exploratory incision to discover the depth and severity of the wound. Miss Lovelace, are you ready? Anna stared at him like he was crazy. Perhaps she was only now realizing it. A brilliant student, he surmised, but a little slow on the uptake. Shrugging, he began to cut. Shoulder first. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.